Si tienes ciertas afecciones crónicas como enfermedad cardíaca, asma, diabetes y tienes 19 años o más, 52, 36, 42, puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20, vacuna conjugada antinomocósica 20 valente, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20 en español.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar20. This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for this bonus episode of Once Upon a Crime. As some of you know, last weekend I was privileged enough to be asked to the first ever CrimeCon UK. And while I was there, I was able to do a really fun live show with my friend, fellow podcaster, YouTuber, Dr. Shoham Das. We had a great discussion about mass shooters as there was a mass shooting in the UK in August of this year. And mass shootings are quite rare in the UK as opposed to the US. So that was one of the things that I thought would be interesting to have this conversation with Dr. Das about. And I was also very pleased that the audience participated in this discussion as well, giving us some really good questions and helping us to direct this conversation. So you'll be hearing that next. I just wanted to give you a little bit of this uh, introduction so you know what's going on here. I'm going to break in in the middle to explain some things because we were doing this live in a room full of people. And in some instances, a couple of the questions you couldn't quite hear. So I'm going to make sure that you know what that was so you can follow the conversation throughout this episode. At the beginning, I will introduce the case we're talking about, which was the mass shooter's name was Jake Davison and where it happened. And so you'll know all about that. I also discussed Elliot Roger and he was an American mass shooter. And as I will explain in the episode, was one who was said to later inspire other mass shootings, specifically those who considered themselves part of the incel movement. And Dr. Das will do a little bit more explaining about what that term means. So without further ado, let's go ahead and start. This is Once Upon a Crime and a Psych for Sore Minds crossover live episode at CrimeCon UK in London, which took place on September 26, 2021. Oh, thanks for coming. Um, welcome. And uh, we are excited to be talking to you today here at CrimeCon UK. I'm here for the first time. My name is um, Esther, and my podcast is Once Upon a Crime. This is Dr. Shoham Das, and he is um, the host of A Psych for Sore Minds. He is also a, consul a consultant forensic psychiatrist, 
and works as an expert witness for civil and civil and criminal court cases. Um, doing medical legal assessments, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Different I, I learned this terminology myself, um, including uh, not guilty by reason of insanity defenses and diminished capacity defenses. So is his part of his expertise, among other things. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the psychology of mass shootings and specifically about um, the mass shooting you had here in the UK recently in August, uh, Jake Davison in Plymouth, um, and just a, a really quick synopsis of that crime. It was in August of this year, a 22-year-old in 12 minutes killed um, five people. Um, he actually shot and killed his mother first uh, and then went out and randomly started shooting people in the street. The first one was a uh, father with his three-year-old daughter, Sophie and Lee Martin. Uh, he then walked to a park and shot a man walking his dogs, 59-year-old Stephen Washington. And uh, by that time, the units were already responding, but he was able to accost one other person, a 66-year-old woman named Kate Shepard, outside of a hair salon. These are random people that were strangers to him. He then shot and killed himself. Um, it was said to be the worst mass shooting in the UK in 11 years after, uh, I believe, is it Cumbria? Cumbria, how do you say it? <laughs> Cumbria, okay. Yeah, I know I'm never going to say it right. In 2011, that was uh, uh, 12 were killed and 11 were wounded. His gun license had been revoked the previous year because of assault, assault charge, but it had been returned to him. He would, had a legal weapon at that point. So I am going to switch it over uh, to Dr. Uh, Das. He's going to talk more about Davidson, his background, psychology, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, the psychology of mass shooters. Um, and then if you know, we have time, I can give you guys a little bit of perspective from the, the U.S. version because we have an epidemic of mass shootings. We're here. It's rare. Okay, well, first of all, it's nice to see you all. Uh, I recognize a lot of you from, um, from Podcast Row, and it feels very intimate. It feels like I'm in my living room and <laughs> all these random strangers have walked in. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of what happened with Jake Davison is related to the incel movement. So I have to admit, I had heard the term before this, but I didn't know what it was. So just out of interest, just as a show of hands, had anyone, had anyone heard or did anyone know what incel was before this? Okay, all of you, of course, we're in a true crime convention, so... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, I have done some background, by which I mean Wikipedia. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I've done a bit more than that uh, about the incel movement. So I'll tell you what I think, and you can you can tell me uh, how accurate it is. So my understanding is that incel stands for involuntary celibate, and it is basically a group of um, sexually inexperienced men, so virgins who can't get partners. And I think that has been around for a, um, a long, long time. But I think what's the reason that the incel movement has kind of progressed and grown is because now there's the internet, so they kind of weaponize this misogyny. So I initially thought it was just a kind of basic belief system of, of being sexist and being misogynist, but I realized that it's actually quite scarily, scarily quite deep. So they have massive theories, they have their own language. You probably have heard of this language. So for example, they call um, men with sexual prowess or who are good looking chads, women who are good looking Stacys. And in the manosphere, which is kind of the, uh, the arena that the men talk to each other on the internet, I talk about women as femoids. And one of their basic beliefs is that they believe that all women are manipulative. And they believe that all women intentionally look for men who are of a higher um, sort of sexual and good-looking scale than they are. And because they think that women are doing that, there's a group of men at the bottom of that scale who can't find partners. So that, as far as I understand it, is the basic belief of the incel movement. So... 
they sound as if they're very entitled. So it's not just about not being able to get women. It's about the fact that they feel they, they, they deserve women. So I, I think that the, that the authorities are slow to call this terrorism. And I think the definition of terrorism would go somewhere along the lines of a bunch of people that try and cause fear to either the government or to society as a whole uh, based on their own political views. So I think the incel movement is exactly those things. So I think it is terrorism. I think by not calling it terrorism, first of all, it doesn't seem as serious or severe and it makes everything seem like isolated incidents, which clearly they're not. And also, if you called it terrorism, then it would be easier to use your laws to kind of shut down internet forums. So I think that's a really important point. I think that it's, it needs to be recognized for what it is. Yeah. Because you brought that up, I'll, I'll go ahead just to introduce the Elliot Roger case, which was in California, in uh, Southern California in 2014. And that is often cited when you talk about the incel movement as one of the, the first that, uh, the catalyst for this incel movement mass shooting kind of epidemic like I said, we have in, in the U.S. because he actually was labeled by a, you know, whatever think tanks that, that deal with these kinds of things um, as a, labeled what he did an act of misogynistic terrorism is what they called it. Um, he was 22 years old. This was in 2014 in Southern California. He um, killed six and injured 14 others, but he used various uh, types of waste of killing these people. There were shootings, there were stabbings, and he also used a car um, to, to basically run into and, and uh, run over people. Um, he started a, a sorority house. Like I said, he, he did consider himself, you know, uh, incel. Started a sorority house but couldn't get in to the house because he wanted to go in and do this, you know, mass killing in there. So outside he ended up shooting three women. Um, this was in like the Santa Barbara area, so it was a, a college there. And two of them were, were, were killed. And then afterward, he just randomly killed people. But he, his was interesting because it wasn't just the women, but it was also men who had girlfriends or were a couple, or in a couple relationship that he also targeted them. So he killed men as well during this, or tried to kill some. And, um, so just to quickly interrupt yeah. either yourself sure. or anybody else, because um, I, I don't know the details about this case. So did he intentionally target everybody he killed? It wasn't a random spree. He, he looked for... He, it wasn't go- supposed to be a random spree, but he couldn't get into the place where he wanted, which was a sorority house where all the, the, the women, the female... Um, you know, but so after that, he, he basically randomly... But he was picking women and also uh, women who were coupled with... You know, men that were coupled with women outside campus or near, near the school. It's October, my favorite month of the year. Not only are we in the run-up to Halloween, which you know I love, but October 4th kicks off True Crime Week on Stitcher. This is a great time to check out Stitcher to listen to episodes of all your favorites. Not only can you listen to episodes of Once Upon a Crime, True Crime Garage, Gen Y, and your other favorite true crime pods free on Stitcher, but you can find some awesome new shows to add to your playlist as well. Shows like Mind of a Monster, which takes a look inside the mind of history's most notorious serial killers, straight from the monsters themselves. And a new podcast I'm so excited about, Strawberry Spring. Strawberry Spring, based on a short story by Stephen King, is a scripted podcast that follows the story of a reporter chasing the bloody trail of a modern-day Jack the Ripper. This eight-episode series stars voice actors including Milo Ventimiglia, Cindy Sweeney, and Al Madrigal. So check out True Crime Week on Stitcher beginning today, October 4th. 
by going to their curated homepage to find your next true crime podcast obsession. On your phone, you can download Stitcher in your app store or go to stitcher.com. And we thank Stitcher for featuring Once Upon a Crime during True Crime Week. So an audience member asked a question about Elliot Roger, about one of his motivations in this next portion. It was a little bit difficult to hear, so I just want to fill that in for you. She brought up the detail about the Elliot Roger case and specifically about what he said were some of his motivations for carrying out this mass killing was that there was a racial element as well. Elliot Roger was a mixed race, Asian and Caucasian. And he wrote that being of mixed race made him, quote, different from the normal fully white kids, end quote. On one online forum, he also stated his opposition to interracial dating and had made several racist posts regarding other races, African-American, Hispanic, South Asian, and East Asian people. He stated that seeing men of these ethnic groups socializing with white women, quote, makes you want to quit life, end quote. In some of his online posts, Roger would say that men who were, quote, fully Asian were unattractive and that white girls would never date them. He actually thought himself as superior because he was half white and he made quite a few racist comments. But it seemed like some of his writings seemed to be kind of a self-hatred, as if he was being rejected because he was of mixed race. He would talk about how other races were, quote, inferior, and he didn't understand why they were able to get white girls to date them, and he could not. And that was one line of his rants that went on. This just happened to be the racial part. And when I answer her question, I'll talk about the fact that there was more than one stated motivation. There was actually quite a few in his writings and, uh, and comments that he made online. So that should clear up where the, the conversation goes in the next part that you'll hear. He had an extremely long, what they call a manifesto. He did a YouTube video. He did a very long document. There was a ton of like uh, complaints about a lot of things in there. And it's like he threw everything with the kitchen sink in there, you know, and that was one of those things that people were like identifying this as, oh, these are his motivations um, or before we didn't have a lot of that, I don't think. You were talking about the incel movement and the motivation for that. Yeah. Davison in particular, what did you find in his background that maybe made him susceptible to these kind of beliefs? The thing about D Jay Davison is it's quite easy to know what his thought processes was because he released so many YouTube videos. He's very open about it. Um, Professor Waffle, did I get that right? That was his um, YouTube name. So what really sticks out to me about his videos is, first of all, there's, he, in some videos he's, he claims that he's not incel, but he's also on Reddit using very misogynistic and homophobic uh, kind of language and views. So despite what he says, he identifies as himself. The other thing that really struck me is I think that he was prob probably clinically depressed. The reason I say that is because in his videos, he talks about low mood, which you know everybody has with depression, but he talks about a lack of energy, lack of motivation. He had these very negative cognitions. So he was saying that I try and I work, um, but I'm still stuck in this house. I'm still not, never get a, a promotion. Um, I try and work out, but I never get any bigger. So you see this kind of like lack of um, pleasure from activities, decreased energy levels, decreased motivation. So I, I don't think 
the depression caused him to do what he did, obviously, because lots of people suffer with depression and something like this is extremely rare. So I'm not saying it's a direct causative link, but I think that fed into all of his kind of negative attitudes as well. And ultimately, he got to a point where he didn't care about the future. It's like he was ready to kill other people and ready to kill himself as well. Was there anything um, else happening? Like, would you say that he hadn't launched, we call it launched, hadn't launched yet as far as like being an adult or was he, was he like actively in, in school or working or anything like that or was he just kind of drifting? I believe he was a, he was a forklift operator. Does anyone here know, was he, uh, did he lose his job shortly before? Yeah, so I think it, that's right. So he lost his job. I mean, he's... I'm, I'm trying to think of a word that's not loser, but I can't think of another. <laughs> he's, he's a bit of a loser, isn't he? So he's, 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 he's living with his mum. He um, doesn't have a job, clearly doesn't have um, many friends, doesn't have a girlfriend. So I think he probably had a massive inferiority complex. He probably saw most of society progressing. He did what he thought was the right thing to do to progress, like try to get promotions, try to go to the gym, try to work out, uh, but didn't get anywhere with it. So I'm sure that, that must have fed into his negativity. Mm. Absolutely. So I think another interesting thing about him is that his mother tried to get some help for him from mental health services. Uh, and my understanding is he didn't engage. This was all kind of around lockdown, which obviously doesn't help. But I think the problem is you can't force somebody to get help unless they're so unwell that they would reach the threshold to be detained under the Mental Health Act, unless they're sectionable. And at that point, he clearly wasn't that. So I think that's another issue. Yeah, and I also found it um, an interesting point, which I think is kind of rare, is that he first killed his own mother and then went out and started targeting random people, where a lot of the mass shooters that, that you know I've seen, at least in the U.S., almost always just target uh, strangers. You know, that's not somebody they know. It might be some where like they've maybe worked before or gone to school, but it's not like specific people. And it's definitely not the person who supposedly is the you know, target for their rage or something like that, like yeah. you know, family member or, or something. Did you find that um, interesting as far as the psychological profile of him? So I think when you talk about the psychology be behind mass shooters, and obviously you've got a far bigger sample size coming from America than you do in the UK, uh, they follow some sort of pattern, or most of them do. So almost all of them are male. I think less than 5% are female. Uh, they're usually Caucasian. They're usually in their 30s. Jake Davidson, I believe, is 22, so he's younger than, than what is typical. They usually feel some sort of isolation. They feel marginalised from society. They have some sort of hatred and resentment either towards specific people or towards society in general. So obviously you get these bullies that go in and, and shoot up their schools because they're trying to get back at specific mm. people that bullied them and the entire school for, for kind of for marginalising them. So it is quite unusual for Jake to, to go after his mother. Mm -hmm. So I know they had some arguments. Um, was it about money? Does anybody know? I, I think I read it was something to do with some sort of disability benefit that he believed he was owed related to him potentially having autism, but there wasn't mm. any kind of... Medica uh, documented medical notes that he did have autism. So I don't know whether he thought he did and he didn't, or whether it's still being investigated. Uh, but the crux of the matter was arguments about money. I'm sure it wasn't just one argument. It must have built up over years. And if they're probably in this sort of um, cauldron of resentment when they're living together and he's in the basement and he's quite a difficult, prickly person anyway. So I'm sure that all contributed. I'm just going to ask, kind of related to that, as a parent of boys, is there, some, is there something I could be looking out for? Like, it's really hard to get that balance as a parent. You want them to eat healthy food, you want them to have friends, you want them to do well at school. Are any of these factors going back that young? 
just say, you know, generally, and you could speak to it more specifically, is, you know, one of those, those things is, is looking at, are they able to voice frustrations? Are they, you know, we know the kind of stereotypical male is like the, you're supposed to be the strong silent type, or you don't like to talk about your feelings, or, or those, those types of things. And people that maybe anxiety and depression going on as well, even less likely to want to voice that because it makes them feel like I'm not as good as and people are going to know that, you know, there's something wrong with me, quote unquote. Um, so I think that that's a big factor. But yeah, it, it's hard when you have, I'm not, and I've, I have a, a son who's a young adult now, but um, as a teenager, you think, okay, is this just the typical teenage angst stuff or is this something I need to be concerned about? And you really don't know because, and you try to talk to them like, oh, yeah, I get away from your mom, you know, whatever. And so you're always looking for signs and, and things. I know as a mother, that's what I do, but... Um, yeah, it's hard because they're, teenagers are secretive anyway, right? And so you're just trying to figure this out. And, you know, coming from a little bit of a mental health background myself, I'm like, okay, well, this could be something, but maybe it's just normal teenage stuff. So how do you, how do you see <laughs> well, it? It's a balance as well. Right. My son has said to me a couple of times, oh, I just feel really sad today, but I don't know why. And it's good that he can say that, yeah, though. Yeah, well, then, see, what do I do then, though? Yeah. I give sort of positive reinforcement for that. They're just I'm like, come sit, have some nice food, and we'll watch TV together. And I'm like, mm, has, he just, has he done his homework? Like, why is he saying that? <laughs> Getting out of it. Yeah. Um, right, I'll answer as best I can. It's a big question. How, do you mind if I ask how old your kids are? Um, yeah, they're 13, 10, and 7. Okay. So I've, I've got two boys. They're 6 and 8. Um, I think the problem is, and Esther's already spoken to this, is that it's really hard to know the very, very small proportion that are actually very high risk because the vast majority of, pe of teenagers can be quite moody. And mm. boys especially, they can be a bit kind of, you know, stand standoffish and a bit sort of embarrassed. I think that somebody who's a bit moody and reclusive is not a, t a warning sign in itself. But I think somebody who's completely reclusive, who's completely isolated, even from friends at school, is potentially slightly more worrying. Not because there's anything wrong with not having friends, but because they're very vulnerable and they can be easily targeted by an internet movement like the incel because they, they want a, a, a feeling of belonging. Just like terrorists, you know, whether it's right-wing terrorists or Islamic terrorists, they, they, tar they don't tar target the popular kids who, who have lots of friends and have a social life. They target the, the loners who, uh, who don't really have any kind of social outlet at all. But I think, as Esther said, the very fact that you're talking about his feelings is, is something that would be very reassuring. Because mm -hmm. if somebody can talk about their feelings, then the chances are they will, they will, you can tell when they're deteriorating versus somebody who never talks about their feelings and you never really know. But I think something that we all have to get used to as time passes as parents is sort of keeping an eye on what's going on on the internet. So that's, mm -hmm. that's a new thing, right? That didn't happen a generation ago. I, I don't know how that's going to go because my kids are too young right now, so you probably know more than me, but I, I guess you just have to keep an eye on, on what, who they're talking to and what they're looking at. Yeah. But that's the other thing, too. So, you know, like I said, my, my son's a little older now, and I thought he was not socializing at all. Finally, I was, like, a little concerned. I'm like, you don't seem to have any friends. You're not, anyway, you're not going anywhere. You're in your room all the time. This is too much. But the thing is, it's especially now after lockdown, and I mean, this was even before, is a lot of their life is lived online. He goes, Mom, I'm, I'm talking to my friends all day long because he's playing, streaming, you know, games online and he's talking to his friends over, you know, online. And I'm like, oh, that's a new thing. That was a new thing then. And so he did have a very, um, you know, close-knit group of friends. They just weren't necessarily physically together. And now with lockdown, that's another layer, right, of that. So how do you suss that out? Like, whether those are those real relationships or are those... 
things that are making them be more isolated um, or not. I mean, it's it's hard to know what's virtual, what's real, right? I think another problem is I imagine that most kids are far more adept at hiding what they're doing on the internet than <laughs> we the used to be. adult is. Yeah. <laughs> so should we put this out to you guys? Do you, do you have either children or do you have experiences of um, either a situation or a concern about somebody becoming isolated and becoming indoctrinated by the internet? In the next portion, an audience member brings up the Breck Bedner case. I'd not heard of this case before, so I'll summarize it just briefly here. Breck Bedner was a 14-year-old living in Surrey, England. He was a typical teen who played online games and met friends through this activity. He was part of a small group of just six kids who often met up online to play games and to chat. One of these online friends turned out to be an 18-year-old named Louis Danes. Danes lured Breck to his home and stabbed him in February of 2014. He then posted pictures of his victim online to the rest of the group as the boy lay dying. Danes was tried and convicted of Breck's murder and sentenced to life in prison. In this clip, the audience member discusses how Breck's parents did everything they could to keep their son safe online, and yet he still became a victim of an online predator. I think a really interesting case is the Beth Bednar case, yeah. Yeah. where he was a, I don't know if he, he was an American, American family living in the UK, but mm. he was British, but his parents were American, and he was obsessed with online games, but it was an outlet for him, and his friends were also school friends, mm. but they didn't go out in the nights, so they came home and they played their games, but there was this other figure who was there, who was this sort of ever-present presence, who knew one knew. And he, someone else let him in the group. Didn't no, it was his server that they were playing this game uh, on. So he brought all the children. Mm-hmm. But he was presenting himself as this millionaire. He was this 25-year-old living in New York. The mum was so concerned at one point because she just didn't buy the story that she went to the police and she said, can you tell me? And they were like, you know, they put a note and then never looked at it. If they had, they would have found that he'd groomed a child not long before. Mm-hmm. They took their phone, his phone off them, they, off Breck, they'd done all of the right things mm. you know, that you're told to do. I hate that story. Yeah. yeah. They did all the right things. Yeah, they did. It's so yeah. frustrating. And then they came back and what they hadn't known was that he'd actually ferried a phone to Breck. Mm. And that Breck was in contact with him the whole time. He came back from a holiday in school and went to his friend's house. And it was this, this lad, um, I can't even remember his name, that, not that matters. Mm. Lewis Day, yeah, that's Lewis Danes, that's it. And... He murdered him, and mm. it all happened over a computer game. Wow. And his mum said he used to love it. He used to see the joy coming off his, mm. his boy. And so she, even though she was reluctant, she loved You don't want to it. take it away, right? Yeah. And, and so it's, it's a difficult one, because in that situation, she done everything right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And since then, while he's in prison, he's got a blog post up taunting the mum as well. I don't know how he's managed to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I find that one really interesting, because that's just all the components yeah. that go into it, and it, just still difficult to manage. Mm-hmm. And it's scary, isn't it? As you say, if she did everything else, everything right, and that was still the outcome, then what's the solution? I'm going to say this very briefly. It's not quite what we're talking about, but I do think it's quite relevant. Um, not about Jake Davidson and Incel, but I think it's relevant to what we're talking about now. So I do know that there, there was a time, there was a spree around five or ten years ago where they had these like internet suicide games that were aimed for vulnerable teenagers. So what they would do is like um, a group of people would create these websites and they would reach out to people who were obviously lost and, and lonely on the internet, usually teenagers, I think more often boys than girls, yeah, I think. And they would encourage them to join their movement, and they had to do little games. So they were given tiny little tasks. So it's, it started off slightly innocent, like you'd egg the next-door neighbor's house, or you'd have to go and slap a stranger or start a fight with a stranger or something. And at each task, they were given points, and each task was that escalate so that you felt that you're playing a real-life version of a game. 
And ultimately, the aim of the game was for the subject to commit suicide. So that is really kind of scary. I mean, even to have that as a thought, as an intention. What's the psychiatry behind that? So I suppose with the psychological processes, first of all, let's talk about suicide, and then we'll talk about the, the murder associated with it. So the psychiatry behind suicide or the risk factors, the demographic factors, are relatively well known. So males far more likely than females. Uh, there's a peak at around 20 and then a further peak later on in life. I, I don't think there's any evidence to back this up, but my theory is that the reason there's a peak at 20 and then a, then a massive gap and then another peak at 50 is because some 20-year-old men can't uh, realise that their lives are going completely from a different path of what they want to do and they don't see any way out of it, whether it's because they haven't got the... They can't get into relationships or because they don't have the qualifications. Uh, and then people in their 30s and 40s who get past that peak try and form their lives. And some of them, at the age of around 50, they have failed. So they see themselves as failures. And that's why there's another peak, I think, at that point. So there's other risk factors would be drug and alcohol use, especially um, al- alcohol. That's probably one of the biggest risk factors. Um, like splitting up from your family. So uh, men who are divorced. Um, going through general midlife crises. So those are all kind of risk factors for people committing suicide. Women as well, but I'm, I'm talking about men because, because they're just uh, in higher numbers. In terms of the murder-suicide, I think it's just extreme selfishness and narcissism. So I failed in my life, and it's very likely to be in the context of killing a partner or even killing children. So because the man sees his life as being his complete failure, um, he just wants to take everyone down with him. Right, she went to break up with him. Yeah, exactly. If you, if I can't have you, then nobody will. So it just ends everything around him. So it's a very destructive, very egotistical, very narcissistic way of thinking. Um, I was wondering with the um, with like the mass shooters, like if you have any insight as to why some of them do shoot them, like kill themselves at the end, and then some don't. Because I know there's like Dylan Roof, and then the guy at um, Parkland, he didn't shoot himself. I mean, just an opinion it's like the ones that you're talking about it's more of the depression like this this whole like nihilistic uh, vision of the of life in general and that's like there's nothing left for me so I, I kind of wonder whether they're more um, their motivation is more the infamy mm-hmm. like now I am somebody now people know who I am you know so I don't know what do you think yeah I agree with that I think they mistake uh, being famous for being infamous don't right. they? so they would rather have some sort of attention mm-hmm. or be somebody or be in the news um, yeah, they want to be able to like, see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, or be, it, from their perspective, they believe that they're the head of some sort of political statement or political mm-hmm. movement. Whereas I think people who um, who commit who go out and kill other people and then kill themselves mm-hmm. probably were peri-suicidal anyway. Mm-hmm. So they were going to kill themselves anyway, but they just think there's all these nasty people and they're at least partly responsible for why my life is so shitty, so I'm just going to take them out with okay. me. Yeah. So I think, I think they're very different ways of thinking, very different cognitive approaches. Mm-hmm. Surely that's another reason why incels should be classed as a terrorist organisation because we know the impact of the media coverage of Columbine and things like that had and, and I'd say the same with Elliot Roger because it was that was a big story against it's a, a different mass shooting and you know the same in the UK the Plymouth shooting was covered quite quite broadly and we know don't we that that inspires people and if you've got terrorism protection with that you can't report it in the same way so that's a, you know another argument why incel and I'm sure the government said didn't they that they wouldn't class it as a terrorist until they like, another attack. So we have, like, one minute to wrap up. Was there anything last... Uh... So one minute until the whole thing's over? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it was going to go fast. It was um, very interesting. You, you guys had great questions. It was really... I, just one thing that I think is really important about this case that we haven't talked about yet is the fact that Jake Davidson got his gun license back. 
So that was it was revoked off him in the end of last year, December 2020, uh, I believe after he had an argument with some teenagers. So my understanding in gun laws is that, that they look at things like they interview the suspects, they interview the family and friends, they look at their um, criminal record, they look at their mental health record, and they look at social media postings. So I think Jake Davidson should have been... He ticks... A, almost all of those boxes. So I don't understand how he could have got his gun license. One thing I do know is that it's very localised, is my understanding. So it's yeah, just the local police force. Yeah. So because you don't have an over overarching yeah. kind of protocol or rules, yeah. then yeah. it's only as good as the... Every force has their own like, policy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to say thank you for coming and great questions. You really made it a, a really interesting discussion for us as well to uh, come up with some of these ideas because these are things that I think that kind of are naturally coming out of uh, cases like this, and this is why we talk about them, because how do they um, affect our lives and what do we need to be knowing maybe for within our own families or, or our own communities. So thank you so much. Appreciate it. So that will do it for this bonus episode of Once Upon a Crime. I had such a great time at CrimeCon UK and I'm looking forward to going back again next year. That will be on the 11th and 12th of June in 2022, again in London. Tickets for that will actually be going on pre-sale pretty quickly here. So check that out at crimecon.co.uk. And you can still use Once Upon for 10% uh, off that ticket. Just let them know that I sent you and tell them you want your 10% off. It'll happen. I know that those tickets will sell out and people had such a great time and people were really looking forward to the next one. Of course, there is one crime con before that. It is a little closer to home if you're here in the States. Crime con 2022 will be in Las Vegas on April 29th through May 1st of next year. So I'm really hoping, keeping my fingers crossed, that I will be asked to be on podcast row and I'll let you know as soon as that is confirmed you can actually put a deposit now for those tickets, standard ticket, gold VIP ticket, and platinum VIP ticket, and all the VIP tickets always sell out. So if you guys really want to do it up in Las Vegas, you're going to want to get at least a deposit down on those premium tickets now. Okay, guys, this was awesome and amazing. I just got to say thank you. Thank you so much to the listeners. It, it was amazing just being in London and just looking around at all of these things that I've wanted to see all my life that have just always been these icons, the London Bridge, the Tower of London, Buckingham Palace. And really, I don't know that I would ever have been able to experience these things if it wasn't for this podcast and if it wasn't for you listeners. So thank you so much for making all of this possible. And I can't wait to go to Las Vegas and I can't wait to start doing more meetups and things as things start to open up around the world, hopefully, you know, early next year sometime or whenever that happens, I will be there to meet you guys because I really just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you in person. I also want to thank Lorena for helping me to edit this audio for this episode because we were in a live room and stuff. It's a little bit tricky. We did our best to make sure that you could hear everything that was said but this is a little bit different from sitting in a studio recording being live. And uh, not all of the people that were asking questions were mic'd, of course, you could tell. But uh, we really wanted you to hear some of those questions and comments because they really did add to this episode. So thank you so much. And I just want to remind you once again, make sure to check out True Crime Week on Stitcher to listen to all your favorite true crime podcasts. 
You can listen to Once Upon a Crime and others like Generation Y, True Crime Garage, and more, all for free on Stitcher. So check out their homepage to find your next True Crime Pod obsession. Until next time, be good to one another.